Hello and welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 81, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Made in Heaven 2. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. Localized title, as always, or I guess not as always, as the as the previous episode was, is Made in Heaven 2. We have arrived at the penultimate episode. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, the the second to last episode. And with this brings a lot of destruction, a lot of uh, death, unfortunately, and a lot of emotion and a lot of crying from Emporio. But before we jump into all of that and try to unpack what happens in this episode, you have some JoJo news of sorts? Yeah, not like... I mean, this is kind of significant JoJo news, but um, as most of you already know, Part 9, the JoJo Lands manga has been out for quite some time, especially or Chapter 1 specifically. And so I think between the events of last week's episode and this week's episode, uh, we have a little more detail on what the manga entails. So for those of you out there who do not want to know the, the high-level details of the manga, more specifically the name of the protagonist and what his, I guess, overarching goal is, I advise that you skip ahead a little bit so you're not spoiled to the premise. Uh, but I don't think you know... Uh, do you know you know the protagonist's name, right? Uh, do I? I? Is it the one that our friend shared? I, could, I couldn't tell if he was joking or not. Okay, so to, to clear thing up, things up, the name of the protagonist for part nine, the Jojo Lands, is Jodio Joestar. So it, it was serious? <laughs> yes. Jodio? I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like a meme because, yeah, it's a combination, I assume, of Jojo and Dio, but maybe there is a reason for that because just again this is just a high level summary of what's been revealed so far about the manga i'm surprised araki didn't go with jody because jody's a a joe name because he's Mm -hmm. taken i mean jolene is like i don't know if it's american but like you know an english-based joe name same with jonathan and joseph jody is a is a name that we're all decently familiar with, or at least you know some people are. Yeah, I'll explain like why I think it, uh, he picked Jodio, but to go over the again the high level premise for the Jojo Lands, um, set in Hawaii in the 2020s, it follows Jodio Joestar, a high schooler focused on becoming a wealthy gangster. I'm getting like Jolene vibes with it being in Hawaii. I'm getting um like Jorno Jorno vibes, vibes with it being a, a gangster thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. Because I I feel like we might have talked about this before. Um it feels like parts seven, eight or seven and eight pull from like the early parts of JoJo, like parts one through four. And so I feel like with this part nine, it's kind of drawing inspiration from part five with it having that like that gangster influence with Jodio. But this also kind of, with Jodio's name, this also makes me think that part nine might be the final Jojo part that we see in manga form. I don't know. I hope not. I hope Araki has at least one more in him. But we'll see, because it's probably going to take, like, what, 10 decades to mm-hmm. complete. And also, again, thinking of the name, like, Jodio being that hybrid of Jojo and Dio, feels like there is a little bit of finality to that. You know, it's a weird name, but it, it encompasses the the characters that have become the foundation for this series. So, yeah, this is just my speculation. Uh, but th- that's what we know about part nine so far. Uh, I think chapter two is supposed to come out in a couple of weeks. So I can't believe it's already ser- serializing. That's crazy. I think it's just it's 
such a big deal when we get a new JoJo part because it doesn't happen that often because they take mm -hmm. so long to complete that my mind is blown that Araki's already diving in this quickly to his newest part. And it came at the opportune time because, I mean, I know Stone Ocean has wrapped up for quite some time since all the episodes are available now, but in terms of our podcast, like we're winding down Stone Ocean, but I guess the JoJo hype can still keep going, at least for manga fans, because they have a, a new chapter for the JoJo lands to look forward to like every month, so... And we have more JoJo content to look forward to in many, many years from now when hopefully <laughs> JoJo Lens gets adapted into an anime, you know, decades from now. But yeah, it, it's exciting. And hey, as, as JoJo fans, it's always great to see more content coming out, um, especially from someone who has as solid of a track record as Araki. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic story. And one more thing we want to share before we dive into today's episode. We were recently reinvited. Reinvited is not a word. We were invited back to TV and movie trivia pod recently for Mulan trivia. Yeah. It's, we just reinvited a word. I don't know, actually. <laughs> it could be. We could, we could make it a word. If, if Jodio's a word, then reinvited can be a word. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, we were back on TV, movie, and trivia pod and. It was fun as always to be with Brian and hang out with him and answer questions about one of our most favorite Disney movies. Yeah, when he reached out about us uh, doing Mulan trivia, we knew we had to jump on the chance because Mulan is, like Carl said, one of our favorite Disney movies, but also holds a lot of meaning for us. Um, it's one of the Disney movies I quote the most when it comes to like quoting movie lines. It's one of, uh, it's, it's the movie that you get some of your most iconic go-to karaoke songs from. Mm -hmm. So it was great to test our knowledge on Mulan. So if you're a fan of Mulan or a fan of Disney, go check out our episode on TV and Movie Trivia Pod, see how we did with Mulan trivia, and test your own knowledge. By the way, this is random, but if, if you didn't know, Jackie Chan did the voice for Li Shang, I think, in the Chinese version of Mulan. And there, there's a video of him singing I'll Make a Man Out of You on YouTube. So <laughs> just a In random, Chinese, right? <laughs> yes, in Chinese. Um, so I highly recommend after you listen to uh, the TV and movie Trivia Pod episode that you check out the Jackie Chan music video. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> All right, I can't wait. Let's get into this episode. I'm ready to pour my heart and soul Pour out my heart and soul. I can't talk today. Pour my heart and soul out and pour one out for all of the Joe Bros who died in this episode. I'm just going to be blunt about it. This was this was a lot of death all at once. Um, and this is probably one of the heaviest episodes in the entirety of Stone Ocean. But with that said, what were your initial takeaways watching Made in Heaven 2? Well, I finally understand why Emporio's frantically shooting his gun in the OP. It's I can't get over how funny <laughs> it is. Every time he fires a shot, he like screams. I, not, understandably so. He's a kid firing a gun that he's never used before. But it's just his panic every time gets to me. <laughs> but no, that was always a lingering question as we started part three and I saw this OP. It's like, wh why is Emporio shooting this gun? And I had never seen him use it at any point in part or part three of part six of course uh up until <laughs> up until this episode and it's it's used like him shooting the gun is used in a very unique way i'll, I'll give it that it's a very it's it's very jojo's bizarre adventure-esque in in why he's shooting this gun uh but other than that i think yeah this episode is incredibly intense because it is, it is the the end of days basically for the prison posse, but also especially melancholy, because besides everything that happens in this episode with with all the the deaths that we see, and you know Emporio like being the the sole survivor and having that survivor's guilt, basically everything we've held near and dear about the JoJo world since part one is about to be sucked into the abyss in the realm of Poochie's idea of heaven. That's just 
crazy to me. Like, like the the world is basically well, the world of JoJo is going through a hard reset. So that means that Joseph doesn't exist anymore. Obviously, Jotaro doesn't exist. Jorno doesn't exist. Like, we get a hint to a, a, a character that we've seen in part four, and like in a small cameo. But something about that just seems so bewildering to me that that JoJo's bizarre adventure, at least <laughs> this in this continuity, is no longer going to exist. Did you think about that at all? Like, was your mind blown by that? Yeah, it was, and very confused when I read the manga. Um, and so I, I was excited to see how this part of the story was adapted um, in the anime adaptation. And I, I've mentioned that before, as well as you know the the finale in the, in the last episode, the next episode. You know how they explain this universe reset of sorts. Um, but yeah, it is just kind of crazy to think that like everything that we've grown to love and appreciate about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is kind of technically gone in an instant. Um, but one of the things that I was wondering going from having read the manga a while back to jumping into the anime adaptation is like, how how will the emotion impact me with the deaths of Hermes, Anasui, and of course, Jotaro and Jolene, knowing that these deaths are coming. And as weird as it is to say that I'm happy to report this, um, I am happy to report that David Production did such a phenomenal job with this episode that despite knowing these deaths were coming, they hit just as hard. It was so painful to watch because it's one thing to read it and to see it, but then to have the voice acting and the music overlaid like on top of all of that hurt so bad like hearing Jotaro's cries of terror which we're definitely going to get into um it was just I don't know it just it hurt so so much or hearing Anasui like we have that small moment of panic when he's talking to Emporio knowing that he's probably going to die in just a little bit like the voice acting in the music just takes it to an entirely different level yeah I'll, I'll be honest I was kind of in denial that they had all died I just thought they were critically injured, <laughs> but then it it dawned on me as the episode kept going that yeah, like Jotaro's gone. Like I think his death obviously affected me the most because he's my favorite JoJo, and I feel like he had kind of died unceremoniously. But I I think we'll kind of get into how there are unique things about what happened in this episode that aren't they don't feel like like jojo but in ways that they do feel like jojo as much of a contradiction that is but yeah i agree like i think everything that david production did in this episode they, they pretty much pulled all the stops i like i was moved by like the haunting choral voices that were playing in the background as music um as all of these traumatic and tragic scenes were going along I know it's kind of interspersed with, you know, like Poochie's theme um, being of that same choral nature, having those that that beefy organ play as well. But then to intersperse that with something that sounds so melancholy and so lamenting with the deaths of the Joe Bros or the prison posse, it had a very profound effect on me. And even just like scenes, since most of this takes place in the ocean, like imagine having to animate like Poochie's accelerated movements along with the accelerated sky and the ocean waves and, of course, the intricate details of each JoJo, or each JoJo character's character design. Like, there's, there's a lot that's going on at any given moment in this episode, but I have to commend the amount of work that David Production put into these scenes to make this a really great episode. Well, going back to what you were saying about, you know, holding out hope that these, the Joe Bros hadn't actually died. I'm sure you're not the only one who thought that because that is a classic situation in Jojo's Bizarre yeah, Adventure. And in we're anime. conditioned for that, I think. <laughs> and in anime in general, because you have, um, you know, you have many situations where it's, it's a, okay, you have many situations where you 
can't assume someone has died unless you see it on screen. But even then in anime, you can see them die on screen, yet somehow they'll come back. So yeah, I, I, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I'm pretty sure I probably felt that way too when I read the manga. But it is, you know, it is confirmed when their bodies start to turn to dust. It is finished, as they would say in the Catholic dogma. <laughs> but all right, JoJo fans, it's the end of Zawardo as we know it. So let's dive her down into our synopsis and discussion for part six, episode 37, Made in Heaven 2. Pucci Gangiest continues his sermon on the horse mount and details his plan to purge the prison posse, but thankfully Emporio whisks the group away on his literal bullet train with Hermes's stand, Kiss, as its clever conductor. Hisoka Sui directs Emporio to lead the bullet train towards the ocean in order to slow down Pucci Gangiest's grotesque gallop and have Daddy Jotaro call for the pestilent priest's final timeout, though by the movement of the moon and the stars and the sky, there really is no time to waste. Puchigangist catches up to the bullet train and has seemingly fallen for Hisokasui's trap, but when Daddy Jotaro stops the clock, it seems the turns have tabled wherein Puchi sticks stone free upon the fishnet philanderer and directs his own version of Knives Out towards Jolene, which sets off Jotaro's ultra-father instincts to save his daughter instead of her quarter. A sacrifice play, that ultimately leads to a literal and fatal slice of his life, along with the end of Hermes's. And no, I am not okay with this. Despite the losing battle, a wounded Jolene saves Emporio from Pucci Gangiest's wrath by pulling him off the bullet train and onto a not-so-green Dolphin Street. But in true heroic Joestar fashion, the juvenile Jojo buys additional time for Emporio to escape by staying behind to confront this Dio-damned priest one last time under the sea, or should I say, under the stone ocean. Unfortunately, time waits for no one, especially when accelerated, as Emporio's ride along the not-so-green Dolphin Street transports him straight to the end of the universe and then back within the walls of the very much green Dolphin Street Prison. Call it Prisonception? And now into our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. There are none for this episode, since we've already discussed Made in Heaven, although I think a reference to It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M., would have felt mighty fine in this episode. Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. I don't really have any, but I think I have seen images of Emporio butt naked riding on a dolphin <laughs> uh, <laughs> tossed around on like uh, the subreddit shitpost crusaders, for example. So I don't know if it's a full-blown meme, but I did want to at least recognize that one because why wouldn't anyone find that image very... Uh, very interesting to look at. But as always, if we missed any, please reach out and let us know. Okay, one more comment I have before we really dive into the episode. You talked about the this feeling of finality for the JoJo universe as we know it with the universe reset. But while you were doing your synopsis, it dawned on me that technically Jorno, Josuke, and Joseph should have made it into the new universe. Unless oh, Pucci yeah. had some way of deciding anyone with the Joestar, and Holly too, anyone with the Joestar bloodline can't make it into the new universe. He didn't specify anything like that. So I assume because they're all alive, and Araki has said in an interview somewhere that Joseph is technically still alive at the time of Stone Ocean. He's just doing his thing. Technically, those JoJo's could have or should have made it. I don't know. I feel like Pucci has a huge grudge against the Joestars that he wouldn't want any of them to exist in the new timeline. But does he have the ability to decide who makes it? Because if he did, why would he try so hard to kill Jolene and Jotaro? He just would need to move time faster and then say, sorry, you're not coming with. And then that's all they had to do. So if anything, mm. it would have been them chasing down Pucci to stop the accelerating time, and he would have been running away because he's fine. He doesn't need to do anything to keep them from coming into the new universe, but he needed to kill them in order to stop them from making it over. Yeah, I'm just thinking like if after he kills Jolene, because you know he can 
move at the speed of light. Like he just zoomed around the world and got rid of the rest of the Joe stars. Although I'm sure it'd, it'd be hard for him to get rid of Jorno with gold experience Requiem. But yeah, I, I guess, I mean, hopefully they, they, they do still exist in the, the new timeline, but it's just not, it, it's just not the same, you know? Maybe, and this is coming from someone who's never read the manga past Stone Ocean or really anything but Stone Ocean. Maybe there are references to those three JoJo's in the new universe because they made it over. I don't know how Araki handles the universe reset with part seven. If he just starts completely from scratch or if he says this is in the new universe that Poochie created. I don't know. So we'll we'll have to see, I guess, down the road when part seven is animated. If there's a chance that, you know, Joseph, Josuke and Jorno are still around in some way. But I guess theoretically they could have made it over to the new universe unless they somehow mm-hmm. died before it happened. Before this episode, it starts off with a bit of a recap. Um, and Pucci says that he didn't obtain his new ability to destroy the Jobros or to become the most powerful. It was simply to guide humanity to happiness. So yet again, we're getting Pucci thinking that he is so righteous in what he's doing, that he's doing what's best for everybody and that, um, you know, he's he's simply not in the wrong and, and he is the one person to save everybody. And it's like, how do you combat a villain who's not only evil in their their actions, but feels like they're righteous in their thoughts? Like, it's a level of delusion that is so hard to overcome. Right. It, he wants to create a, a new universe that's righteous for everybody, but not for the Joe bros themselves. Although I guess it's because they're standing in his way. And so I guess, relatively speaking, they are preventing the righteousness from happening. <laughs> I know. It's it's like this weird concept of like, it all depends on whose point of view you're looking at it from. And so I'm sure there's people out there who would argue, well, Pucci's actually doing the right thing or he's correct in his thought process because he just wants to obtain happiness for everybody. He's not doing this for, you know, selfless gain. But that's a whole discussion for uh, another day. That could probably be an entire episode just going through the philosophy through uh, behind Pucci's thoughts and actions. So this episode wastes no time kicking things into high gear with Pucci chasing down everyone. Um, As I mentioned before, still can't get over Emporio using a gun. I think it's so funny every time he has to because he freaks out the entire time. But this time he pairs it with Kiss and mimics what Hermes and Jotaro did to get to the space center with the spear and uses it as a mode of transportation. Only in Jotaro's Bizarre Adventure can you say that a gun is a mode of transportation. (laughs) bullet train um so i assume it's emporio and hermes that that had come up with this plan while like anasui was having his conversations with jotaro and, and jolene um in, in the previous episode but so my understanding is is it like hermes is holding the duplicated bullet and then everyone else is like latching on to her no no i thought emporio was holding it in his hand well Oh, is it, had, it, it had a kiss sticker on it. Oh, so he's holding it. Yeah, I thought he was. I mean, someone's holding it. They they show it in someone's hand. I thought it was an Emporio's hand. See, I was I was just thinking, like, is it physically possible for someone to hold a speeding bullet? <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> I feel like no. If he's but holding this is it, JoJo logic. Yeah, if he's holding it in his hand and it's going at the speed of a typical bullet, then it would just pierce through his skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, but it, I mean, I think we're working within Jojo logic here because yeah, you also have to think about the time it takes for them to go from point A to point B. It's supposed to be an extremely fast mode of transportation that can outpace Poochie. And yet they're having a full blown conversation the entire time mm-hmm. when the swamplands are not that far into the distance. So this, this is, harkens back to the never ending fall between Jonathan and Dio from part <laughs> one that we always like to bring up. In that conversation, Anasui comes up with a plan to stop Pucci um, and then says when he when Pucci attempts to come for Anasui's life, he'll give a signal. And at that exact moment, Jotaro is to stop time and kill Pucci. I really like this whole sequence because everyone's freaking out. But Jotaro actually compliments Anasui in this moment, saying that's actually a good plan. So first of all, 
let's take a moment to realize that Jotaro is complimenting somebody. As we talked about in the last episode, this is out of character for him, but maybe he's grown and matured so much that he can recognize when someone's being competent. Well, I think you've always said that Jotaro recognizes strength. Yeah. And in the previous episode, towards the climax, we saw that Anasui had saved him by using Diver Don to bear some of the blow that Pucci had inflicted on Jotaro. And so I think, <laughs> I know earlier, like Anasui had saved Jotaro by bringing him up on the roof. And I think that kind of pissed Jotaro off. But then that second sacrificial play, I think that's where Jotaro realized like, okay, maybe Anasui does have a good head on him. And so here he's actually being responsive to Anasui's plans because he knows that Anasui is someone that he can trust. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like Jotaro responds well to strength. He he only shows respect um, or treats people nicely when he recognizes that they are strong individuals. So it, it's kind of exciting to see him recognize Anasui in this way um, because maybe there's a small part of Jotaro who says, if this guy does end up marrying my daughter, maybe it's not so bad after all because he is a strong individual, a competent individual. And I've talked many times about how Anasui is the most perceptive of the Joe bros. He can come up with a plan on the spot. He can see things that mo that go over most people's heads. So I think that's a, a trait that's very similar to Jotaro. He's, he's very much that way. Yeah, I think that's an added perk just for Anasui to prove to Jotaro that he is worthy of Jolene's love by putting this plan together and, and basically putting himself in harm's way to, to allow Jotaro to, to take down Pucci, even if that's at the cost of his own life. It kind of makes me sad that it's not until the end of Stone Ocean that Anasui and Jotaro actually meet each other because imagine what the two of them would be able to accomplish if they worked side by side earlier in the story like they are in this moment. Um, but either way, I love seeing them work together and, and realize the plan that's going on. And you also have the moment where Jotaro realizes why Anasui wanted Emporio to head toward the water. It's so that they can see which way Pucci's going based on the ripples in the water. So again, it's like Jotaro... <laughs> yeah, see the hamon ripples in the water. Jotaro is again recognizing Anasui, maybe a little less directly this time, um, but saying, hey, I'll, I, I get what you're trying to do here. This makes sense. But it's in the same conversation that Anasui does start panicking a bit when he turns to Emporio, um, you know, to, to try and explain like his thought process behind the plan he's come up with. And it's one of those few moments where Anasui is like genuinely scared for his life. You can feel the fear. It's not super obvious, but the way that David Production animates his face and the way that the voice actor starts to say these lines or deliver these lines, you can tell Anasui is like, coming to terms with the fact that he's very likely to die in this moment. But it's not all in vain because in that same moment, Jotaro, Jotaro, <laughs> Jolene tells him to go ahead and propose to her when his plan succeeds, giving him that bit of hope in the darkness. And I feel like part of it is just to lift Anasui's spirits and to give him something to keep fighting towards. But I think also, you know, a small part of me being a shipper of these two likes to think that Jolene said that because she genuinely does recognize him as a good person, sees how hard he's trying to protect her father um, and to protect her, and that maybe she's finally realizing feelings for him. It's a very muted response from Jolene, though, which made me think, like, she only said that, uh, like you said, to... to to build up Anasui's confidence. Uh, like I, it's kind of questionable if she does have feelings for Anasui, but I will say she is the daughter of Jotaro. And so maybe in, in that sense, she kind of inherits his, his inability to express like romantic feelings. So maybe she does have feelings for Anasui. Uh, but obviously we'll get to like the last episode um, in the alternate universe that's created where they they do end up together. Yeah, I noticed that too, that she was kind of subdued in her response, but I felt like she was trying to be calm in his moment of panic. Again, being that hope in the darkness. And she's really calm throughout this entire thing. Like when she sees Jotaro die, she is also very subdued. And when Emporio is freaking out, telling her like, don't leave me, she's very subdued. Mm -hmm. It's almost like she's at this point where she realizes what 
the likely outcome is of the situation and just needs to push forward even if it means everyone's going to die like i, I don't know i just i got the sense of like i don't know like acceptance of yeah, fate like at a that catharsis. point yeah and i mean shit hits the fan because time starts to accelerate at an even faster rate than it did before we get um scenes of some of like the regular people reacting to this increase in time such as a news report showing like how quickly a glass falls to the floor um, so quickly that they can't even see it with the naked eye. But the one that's most notable, of course, is the manga artist part where the manga artist mm -hmm. is trying to meet a deadline, trying to do his work, saying that the ink from the pen dries before he can even draw. And then he gets a call from, I believe, his editor, I assume his editor, saying that some other manga artist beat him to the deadline. And he's like, what kind of freak mangaka could do that given the situation? And the guy's like, oh, it's Rohan Kishibe. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's such a great cameo. That was that was such a funny part. Was that in the manga? Do you remember? I do not recall at all. Mm. I, I I like to think it is, but if it wasn't, then props to David Production for including it in the anime. Yeah, it, this kind of felt like, you know, in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they'll drop hints to other characters in certain movies just to establish that universe. Um, I, I like this. It was like a wink and a nod to something that we've we we know of from previous parts. Uh, <laughs> it just makes me think like, how fast was Rohan really working? Like, what if his editor didn't even have time to? to I mean, obviously he didn't. Like, his editor didn't have enough time to even review the shit that he was producing. But that's like the joke with, with Rohan in part four is that he's the greatest mangaka, yeah. one of the greatest mangaka <laughs> ever. He's so young, but he's so successful because he's fantastic at what he does. Also, he's a stand user. I'm sure maybe that came into play or something because stand users, well, we established in the, was it the Bohemian Rhapsody one? Um, the one with like the Disney characters coming to life mm -hmm. or the non-Disney characters, I guess, in this sense, um, that some stands like impact stand users differently. Oh, no, no. I'm thinking of weather reports, heavy weather with the rainbows. I think Jolene and Hermes were like, oh, we can withstand this a little bit better than regular people because mm -hmm. we're stand users. So maybe Rohan is able to get his work done, even though his stand doesn't directly impact that because he's a stand user. But then we jump back to the Joe Bros on their way to the Swampland. They finally make it, and Anasui gives the signal. And in that moment, he gets donutted. Jotaro thinks that it's Poochie that's donutted him. And so he grabs the hand that went through his chest, only to realize it's Stone Freeze hand that went through Anasui's chest, not Poochie. And this is when things get really fucking chaotic. So it was Poochie who knocked Jolene or Stone Free into Anasui? Yeah, I think Poochie anticipated that Jotaro was going to try to go for him. So honestly, it was a very smart move on Poochie's mm -hmm. part. I, I got to give him props there. So he instead took Stone Free and used that as the the object to pierce Anasui's chest. And that totally threw Jotaro off. Um, I don't think anyone in the Joe Bros anticipated that. So Poochie then <laughs> does another crazy thing and pulls a fucking Dio from part three and throws knives at Jolene so that they'll hit her right after time resumes. And Jotaro says, shit, this is exactly what happened in my fight with Dio. I'm like, oh my God, the callbacks <laughs> are so crazy in this episode. It's like PTSD or like it's now his past is coming back to haunt him. He's like, God damn it, not again with these fucking knives. <laughs> Where did Poochie get these knives? He, I don't know. He probably had them on him. He probably already knew. He accelerated to the knife store. Yeah. <laughs> well, up. I'm sure Dio had already explained. Well, no. Now I'm trying to think about that. Would, oh, yeah. Dio. Would Dio have had the time to tell Pucci about Jotaro having time stop abilities? Because that only manifested in Star Platinum during the climactic fight. So there mm. wouldn't have been a way. But I'm sure Stan users all over the world know about Jotaro. And they probably know about his ability. Yeah. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Pucci just was on fire in this in this fight. Just pulling one crazy stunt after another. And this is where things get really painful. When Jotaro realizes what's going on, when he realizes that these knives are going to hit his daughter, he lets out 
and this was crazy to me, mind-blowing to me when you told me this, he lets out his one and only scream of terror that we get mm -hmm. in the entirety of his time in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure because he's realizing that his daughter's life could end right there. I'm like, that's crazy to me. He doesn't even, so I, this is what I was rewatching before we started recording. Um, he doesn't even react when Joseph gets killed in part three. Obviously, we realize he doesn't actually get killed, but when Joseph thinks he gets killed, he barely reacts. He doesn't even react when we see his mom suffering, when we see Holly suffering, when her stand starts to manifest. This is the only time he actually screams horrified that his loved one that his only daughter is about to die and you can i mean props to daisuke ono you can feel the fear in jotaro's voice yeah it was such a, a visceral scream that came out of jotaro because it's his flesh and blood that he sees in danger and like you said i i never have i heard such a pained scream from jotaro thinking back to those pivotal events in part three. Uh, but I think Daisuke Ono nailed it on the head of making this the sound of a parent in extreme anguish. Uh, it, it sent chills down my spine the first time I heard it. And you, you can really feel like Jotaro seeing his, I mean, yeah, the world is crumbling around him, but you can see his world, his daughter, like crumbling in front of him. And someone uploaded that exact scream, that exact moment onto YouTube. So we'll share a link to it in the Discord so that you guys can um, go back and, and relive and it <laughs> if you want to. Um, so if you're not a, member of our, oh, not a member of our Discord, the link to join is in the description. This also makes me think back to, again, part three, when Joseph and Jotaro find Holly laying on the ground and see that her stand is slowly killing her. In that moment, Joseph is witnessing his daughter slowly dying, and he screams. He screams in terror. He also mm. slams Jotaro against the wall for some reason, but it's a little more expected of Joseph because it's established in part two how loyal and dedicated he is to the people he loves. It's established earlier on in part three how much he adores his daughter, and he screams in general. Like He screams a lot in general. So it still hits hard when Joseph panics like that about his daughter, but it doesn't hit nearly as hard when it's someone like Jotaro panicking about their daughter. Because it's so unexpected of, of Jotaro. Yeah, it tells you how much he loves his daughter, how much he cares for her. And I mean, he's been working so hard to keep her safe and for like for her to be taken away in front of his very eyes. It's his worst nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, poor Jotaro. But then it only gets worse um, because after Jotaro is able to get most of the knives away from Jolene, I think one of them still hits her, Pucci starts to blab yet again. He acknowledges the Jostar bloodline, saying that their greatest strength is their pride and courage, and they came together to conquer their fate but also says that that same bloodline is their biggest weakness and that Jotaro's greatest weakness is his daughter. And that's the moment that he finally kills Jotaro Kujo. Well, before we get into that, <laughs> I know it's, it's kind of depressing. Let, let's, let's go on something a little more lighthearted by talking about, well, maybe not lighthearted, because we're going to talk about the stand stats for this episode. And of course, they apply to Pucci's final evolved stand made in heaven and so destructive power is at b speed is infinite range is c durability is a precision and accuracy is c and development potential is a and this stand stack title card or eye catch actually gives us a a clear visual of what Made in Heaven looks like because it's always hard to see as it's accelerating through these episodes. Uh, it's a it's a, sort of like a humanoid horse hybrid with with no hind legs, kind of like a centaur. But I think there's there's a significance to this design because I was reading that it's similar in concept to what's called a naklavi, which is a horse-like demon of old Scottish folklore that was said to be the source of plagues, droughts, and epidemics. So it's not unlike Made in Heaven's own 
apocalyptic intentions. Although I will say that the Naklavi looks a lot more terrifying. It basically looks like the the colossal Titan in Attack on Titan if you put the Colossal Titan skin over Made in Heaven. Um, but with Made in Heaven's design, you see a lot of these clock and time motifs all over its body, of course, alluding to its ability to accelerate time. Also interesting that uh, atop the humanoid's head, it has this green crown of thorns, which I think is meant to harken back to Pucci's religious nature. And that kind of goes hand in hand with how he thinks his mission right now is a really righteous one in attaining happiness or in attaining heaven for everybody. Uh, last thing I'll say with the character design or the stand design is that I think there's also a music reference with its similarity in design to a creature called the Painkiller, which is on the cover of the Judas Priest album of the same name, Painkiller. Because I think both creatures are described as faster than a laser bullet. Although I think the painkiller, instead of having a horse as its main body, it's actually like a, a motorcycle. So, yeah, that's Made in Heaven. When we jump back into the episode, so now Pucci's body count is he's killed Anasui. He kills Hermes. By chopping her forearms off. I don't mm -hmm. know how that insta kills her, but I guess she's died. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she bleeds out, but it's I mean, from shock or yeah, weather report lasted quite a while after getting his leg and his, actually, both of his legs chopped off. So Hermes's death is a little questionable for me, but then he, he k deals the killing blow on Jotaro by slicing his face along his right eye, I believe. Mm hmm. It's kind of like opposite of how of the face where Jotaro's stand and soul discs were taken out horizontally. And you had mentioned this to me. Um, this plays right into the episode from part three where Boingo, right? I think it's Boingo. Boingo, 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 the younger one. I think it was Boingo's the the younger one. Yeah, Boingo, yeah. right? Yeah. So when Boingo predicts in the episode where he teams up with Whole Horse that Jotaro will die through a strike in his face, mm -hmm. which is crazy, crazy. I don't <laughs> full, know if Araki did that on circle. I don't know if Araki did that on purpose or if that's like just coincidental. But yeah, I mean, if either way, we were kind of told back in part three how he was going to officially die. Because what was the name of that stand? Like, Toth? Uh, hold on. Yes, I don't know why I, rem I remember Boingo's stand being Toth, but I'm pretty sure, like, anything that Toth predicts or prophesizes will eventually come true. Right? Yeah, just, I think there's, there's, like, no way around it. Yeah, like, it, it, just with this one, there was no specified point in time, even though the Jotaro that's drawn in 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 the the manga book is how he looks in part three but yeah it's kind of crazy thing because that was something that i vaguely remember like thinking to myself when i saw that episode is like if if the predictions are absolute that in boingo's stand then it wouldn't make entire it wouldn't be entirely um, accurate to say, well, the bullet that whole horse fired went through Jotaro's face, blah, blah, blah. And we all know what happens in that episode because you're still seeing a slice through Jotaro's head. So now it does make sense. Maybe Araki was like, I can't forget this one. So I got to mm -hmm. make it come true <laughs> in a later part. But we'll, we'll drop a link to another YouTube video that plays those two scenes side by side. The part three scene with Boingo's prediction and then... Jotaro's ultimate demise in part six if you want to relive that so you can see how they pan um, next to each other and I think it's worth noting that after Jotaro does succumb to his injuries um, the last word out of his mouth is Jolene Aww. he's looking at his daughter she says father or whatever <laughs> and he responds with Jolene and then is officially gone I'm so sorry. I, I was like trying to not react the entire episode when we were first watching it because I knew he was going to die and I didn't want you to catch on to anything. So I was trying so hard to be like stone faced the whole time and keep my reactions to a minimum because I wanted you to experience it 
in the same raw way we all did. Yeah, I I remember I was just in denial, <laughs> even though it was clear, like this this played out like a movie where Jotaro's last words are the name of his daughter, and she's giving her speech about how she always, like I think she was always a delinquent, but it's because she knew that her father was going to eventually come to save her in the end. Yeah, this is where she again is very subdued in her reaction to seeing her father die and I think again it goes back to her acceptance of what this fate is I think she kind of knew this was this was bound to happen given the circumstances so yeah she has flashbacks to when she stole that car when she was in juvie or whatever and and she says I just kept thinking my dad is going to come save me and ultimately he does because because he was able to stop time and knock away most of the knives, Jolene is technically saved in this moment. Yeah, she gets stabbed in the side, but it's not an injury that she ultimately succumbs to. That's not what kills her. It's Pucci's final strike that kills her. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, Jotaro can say, I saved my daughter in the end. And Jolene has a moment of revenge because when she starts to make her moves and Pucci realizes that she's still alive, she throws that knife that was in her side back at Pucci and slices him in the face in the exact same spot he oh, yeah. hit Jotaro. <laughs> so I was like, damn, that is some immediate karma right there. Then you kind of see butterflies come into frame um, as you know, she's, I think she's trying to save Emporio, kind of symbolizing that. She's still around, like she's still not to be trifled with, um, even in her last stand against Pucci. And she saves Emporio by attaching herself to a dolphin, grabbing him and using that dolphin to escape Pucci. But I think that's there's only so much escaping that they can do because Jolene is questioning how long Pucci can keep up swimming like this and pursuing them. But I think she ultimately realizes and says to Emporio, that even if she were to escape with him, Pucci will always be able to sense where she is. Mm -hmm. And this goes right back to why Jotaro removed himself from his family because stand users, well, okay, it's different for the Joestars because they can sense other Joestar blood, but you also have to think that stand users are attracted to other stand users. I'm sure Jotaro wanted to remove himself from the family so that there wasn't the potential of stand users coming you know, approaching him either intentionally or unintentionally just through the attraction of stand users and putting his family in harm's way. So Jolene is kind of going through the same thing here, thinking if I continue to be around Emporio, even though I care about him, he will always be in danger. And there's a, a lot of things that I pulled from this scene with Jolene saying her final farewell to Emporio. First and foremost, I'm sure Jotaro would have loved to ride those dolphins, right? <laughs> oh my God, I didn't even think about that. You're absolutely right. Uh, another thing is that th this is an instance of JoJo characters talking underwater. I know we've discussed yeah. this before. <laughs> I think last I remember was wasn't like Jolene and Hermes in their initial fight against Foo Fighters before Foo Fighters crossed over to the light side. Uh, they were talking underwater underwater during that battle they were yeah and then part three i think there were several instances of when this happens with with the that captain that was attacking jotaro yeah <laughs> um another thing that i picked up on is with jolene making this decision to put herself in harm's way by protecting emporio uh i think this harkens back to something that she says to Emporio at the end of Stone Ocean Part 2, uh, which I think is episode 24, Jailbreak. She says, there comes a time where we have to move forward, even if that means facing danger. And she is completely embodying that statement in this moment by, again, having this last stand against Pucci because she's placing her utmost trust in Emporio and his capability to defeat Pucci in whatever happens next. Because um, I, I think that trust has built throughout Stone Ocean. Uh, but with that quote about her moving forward even in the face of danger, this this makes me think where it's Jolene embodying something in JoJo that we have not seen in a long time. And I'm specifically talking about Jonathan Joestar because I think there is an episode 
in part one where he says something very similar where he says a true gentleman has to be brave enough to go into a fight he knows he'll lose and this is where i'm like jolene dying and all of this doesn't feel jojo but it still feels jojo because jolene is embodying her great 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 grandfather not only in her unfortunate fate but also in his unwavering resolve in the face of extreme peril i completely agree i mean jolene you know jolene is telling emporio in this moment like i have faith in you saying that he can change this fate um and that's why he needs to survive and makes the decision to sacrifice herself by holding off poochie um and ultimately getting killed by him and it it just it feels like you said one to one with jonathan because jonathan also sacrificed himself by staying behind in order to hold back dio to allow edina and lisa lisa to escape mm-hmm and that's the only reason the Joestar lineage was able to go on because at the time Irina was pregnant, even though I don't think she realized it. So this is like a very parallel situation where, yeah, Emporio's not a Joestar, but it's somebody that is being protected in order to keep the future moving forward. Wow. Yeah. I didn't consider that parallel, like Emporio and Irina. I also wanted to call out the little kudos that Jolene gives to Anasui. So he said that Jotaro was able to fulfill his duty of protecting his daughter in the end. But Anasui also fulfilled his, I don't know if you'd call it a duty or whatever, like I guess his goal um, to protect Jolene because Jolene says to Emporio, the only reason she's alive is because Anasui sacrificed himself to protect Jotaro, who was then able to protect her. So, what about Hermes? Did she mention? I forgot she mentioned Hermes at all. Well, she did. She said that. I think she said something to Emporio along the lines of like, "You need to keep moving forward because Anasui, Hermes, yeah, and my yeah. father Jotaro mm-hmm. Kujo sacrificed themselves to continue our our fight." But the fact that she acknowledges Anasui and, and gives him that props and, and says even Anasui was able to keep his promise to me to ultimately protect me. Honestly, he might not have been the one to directly protect Jolene, but it was that chain effect. He allowed Jotaro to do what he needed to do so that Jolene could stay alive. Classic Joe Bro characteristic of sacrificing yourself to to save the rest of your group, even though the, the group has whittled down to one individual in this case. But I think it's, as the final episode of Stone Ocean will prove, these were sacrifices that had significant meaning and were were well worth it and also shows that poochie was kind of right that this was fate and they couldn't get away from it because they all died (laughs) (laughs) oops (laughs) you just didn't count on a little boy with a baseball hat to screw things up well i I think what's going to be talked about in the next episode from emporio's end is that poochie also can't escape his fate which Mm -hmm. is to ultimately meet his demise so that'll be fun to to kind of go go through Emporio's moment of revenge. But after Emporio and Jolene part ways, we see more scenes of time moving so fast that like the sun looks like a big streak in the sky, that all inanimate objects start to disintegrate, including the clothes on Emporio's body, and he becomes a naked kid riding a dolphin who then starts floating in space until he makes it to the new universe. Yeah, what a weird fucking scene. All the animals and like naked people just floating in the air. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> imagine being just a, a an innocent bystander and all that. What a wild ride to go through. <laughs> Holy shit. But it does end with Emporio uh, butt naked back at the prison in the same spot where Jolene and Jotaro first reunited in the visiting room. So things have sort of come full circle and we'll we'll dive deep into all of the the things that tried to get explained in the last episode, which left people with a lot of confusion reading the manga. So the big question will be, did the anime do a better job of explaining what the fuck is happening in, you know, over what the manga was able to achieve? Prisonception. It's yeah, I, it's a really interesting final episode, and i'm I'm looking forward to talking about it. 
But that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 37, Made in Heaven 2. So, did you feel like your wardo came crashing down around you after the events of this episode? Yeah, it hurt. It hurt like a bitch. Props to David Production, as I said earlier, for doing a phenomenal job adapting this into the anime. Props to the voice actors for their performances and just evoking every facet of emotion that comes with the the panic and the hopefulness and the despair of what transpired in this very, very, very intense fight. All of that amplified by the music choices um, that are playing in the background. It was just, it was great. I was one of, there's several moments throughout Stone Ocean I was anticipating seeing like when Anasui confessed his love to Jolene out of nowhere, when he asked um, Jotaro for, you know, his blessing, all the weather report scenes, because I fucking love weather report. But this, this whole sequence was one of my most anticipated moments for Stone Ocean. And I was certainly not disappointed, as painful as it was to go through in an anime format. But I think this episode is a standout episode, not only for the deaths that occur and what it sets up for the finale, but also just the intensity of this fight. You literally have Poochie bouncing around like a bouncy ball. I, his The noise they chose for his, like, bounces i guess literally does sound like a bouncy ball it's almost humorous to a certain degree but it just works and he just seems so menacing because he doesn't say much the entire time he's just in this constant pursuit and they are freaking out as they're trying to get away from him and trying to stop him so poochie i think after this episode premiered or after we watched this episode really went down as one of the one of the best JoJo villains out there because of just how incredibly insane, delusional, and intense he is. But what were your thoughts? So I was just thinking, uh, Poochie did what Dio couldn't do, which is kill turn into J- a bouncy ball. <laughs> that, that and kill Jotaro. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to give Poochie credit where credit's due. But yeah, for me, last week, I think I gave a Dark Knight reference with my final thoughts. But this time around, I'm going to pull a quote from Star Wars by saying that this episode was a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. I know that things, or I knew that things were not going to end well for the prison posse, with time quite literally not on their side and more on Poochie's side. But a small part of me thought that Jolene, being a Joe star that has withstood the tests of fate throughout Stone Ocean, would somehow pull off some sort of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure-level miracle that would have had her emerge triumphant over Poochie's overwhelming superiority, with Jotaro maybe even serving as her formidable backup or assist. That definitely was not the case, although the Emporio bullet train, I think, was definitely a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure level of crazy that nearly saved the group. But this episode was just a complete... And total loss for the Joestar family, at least on the surface, for the first time since Jonathan Joestar's demise in Phantom Blood. But I think that makes the plot of Stone Ocean feel a little more refreshing, where the JoJo protagonist does not come out unscathed as expected. I think the losses of the prison posse in this episode have more weight in that sense, and especially just the overall loss in which the entirety of the JoJo universe, as we know it, is very suddenly ripped away from us. Although I think now you have the right to tell Marvel or DC fans that the multiverse was a JoJo reference long before it became mainstream popular. So all in all, while the conclusion of the Maiden Heaven arc was quite a tragic turn of events, I think it was still an excellent and emotionally gripping episode that paves the way for the overall conclusion of Stone Ocean to be one that brings a unique spin to the JoJo series while still remaining true to its resounding themes of fate and fighting against adversity. And with all of that, there's only one episode left of Stone Ocean. I think back to when we got the announcement that Stone Ocean was being adapted when they had that JoJo event. 
That was like with 20... a really shitty subtitles. Yeah, it's not like 2021, like two years ago. Yeah, it's wow. been an absolute journey, and it's had its ups and downs. You know, Netflix has not been the greatest to Stone Ocean, but all in all, I think what we've gotten has been amazing, and it's going to be bittersweet in the next episode to round things out for Jolene's story. Round things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So look forward to that. Um, It's going to be a great discussion as always. And thank you guys for tuning in. We hope that you've been enjoying the Stone Ocean Review series and that you'll join us for the last episode. As always, subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. Continued.